Hello and welcome to the very first programme in our series, Brain Food for General Counsel. My name is Matthew McGee and I'm a journalist here at Vincent Mason's and I'll be here every month to give you some food for thought to help GCs to think about the big issues facing their organisations and how they can best help their companies grow and develop. Right now, there is only one big issue on the minds of anyone involved in running a large organisation, and that's the coronavirus. It's changing the shape of the world around us, shifting and evolving every day to present us with new challenges. Companies' first actions have been about staff welfare and about the immediate practicalities of keeping a business functional. But thoughts are beginning now to turn to the future, to the actions we can take now to give ourselves a better chance of good personal, social and economic outcomes on the other side of this. We're going to hear from Claire Francis of Pinsent Masons about how companies are dealing with the situation and how they're setting priorities and to get some initial thoughts on how to deal with issues such as force majeure, staff well-being and business continuity. But we're also going to look further into the future and back into the past with Douglas Alexander, a former UK minister and the UK chair of UNICEF. We'll hear about what it's like to be part of the response team to dramatic situations like this, what past crises can teach us about our response, as well as what the world will look like on the other side of the pandemic. First, Claire Francis outlines what the biggest concerns for businesses have been so far and how they can begin to deal with those issues. In terms of the issues cropping up in relation to coronavirus, then the main ones that we're seeing clients focus on at the outset are primarily in relation to their employees and making sure their well-being and that they have enough and sufficient employees to keep the business operating. And then secondly, in relation to their supply chain, um, both their contracts and their rights under them, but also within that wider supply chain to ensure the business continues to have the goods and services it needs to operate throughout this period. And what actions are they are they taking there on the supply chain side? So from a supply chain perspective, um, there are two two phases of action really. First is any defensive action they may need to take in terms of thinking about whether they need to um, consider force majeure notices or any rights or actions they may take to preserve rights or um, indeed exercise rights under those relevant contracts. And then secondly, there is a a more proactive um, approach we're seeing some clients take in terms of talking to their supply chain on a more informal basis to understand where there may be risks or issues within that supply chain that they should be cited on and can take early proactive action to resolve before it becomes a problem. We've seen through through many of these types of crises that supply chain failure can be catastrophic to businesses. So really putting in place that monitoring and the uh, central point of contract so they contact so they get a holistic view of what it looks like is vitally important for businesses in order to avoid that failure down the track. Can we just get a quick view on some of the biggest issues that are cropping up and, and what we are uh, what we're advising people about these? So a lot of people are thinking about whether this counts as a force majeure incident which which kind of unwinds some of the responsibilities contained in contracts. So does it? Um, Under English law, we don't have an implied principle of force majeure into contracts. So it all depends on the drafting of the particular contract. So there isn't really a one size fits all approach. 
However, having said that, now the World Health Organization has formally declared coronavirus as a pandemic, um, it is likely that it will fit, fall within the trigger event of a, of a standard force majeure clause. Um, we also consider it would fall under the trigger event of something that is beyond the reasonable control of a party, given the breadth of this within um, the relevant uh, countries around the world. So unless the force majeure clause is drafted very narrowly, so that it only has a specific list of um, trigger events, then it's highly likely it will get caught. However, a critical thing to think about is what is the standard of proof within that clause. So under English law, we typically see hinders, prevents or delays performance. And to prevent performance is a very high bar. You have to be physically or legally impossible to perform the contract, which is a much higher standard than simply being hindered or delayed. So it is really important to consider those clauses and the actual impact you are seeing as a business rather than just to assume that because there is a, a global pandemic, then the force majeure clause will automatically apply. Lots of people can work from home. Lots of people can't. So where do we stand on whether employees should be paid even if they can't perform their duties? So the, um, the employee landscape is quite complex in the context of coronavirus. Obviously, there will be a, a large number of place, places where um, people are encouraging their staff or indeed mandating that their staff work from home, which works really well in certain industries where employees are able to be agile and can work from home when they are not um, ill or suffering coronavirus themselves. Um, and this can also apply to those that are self-isolating. However, it's fair to say that there are many roles um, and jobs around the UK where working from home is, is not possible. And, and there it is quite complex. So we would suggest any business cons consult considering whether or not they need to pay their employees does take legal advice. But as a general rule, where workers are required to stay home um, by their employer, then they won't be on medical suspension, um, but they would be entitled to be paid during the period they're asked to stay away at the employer's request. Uh, where an employee has been um, told advice to self-isolate and has a, uh, a medical written notice from their GP or NHS 111, then they would be entitled under the current legislation to receive statutory sick pay. That's a temporary measure that has been brought in just during the, the period of the coronavirus epidemic, but it is one of the government uh, measures to try and help uh, ease that pain on business and employees jointly. Um, what about finance, loans, payments. So will people still be expected to pay loans and, and debts on time or are timetables being relaxed generally? So in terms of businesses, uh, access to finance and loans, then from a commercial perspective, whether or not they still need to be paid or whether there will be payment holidays, I think all of the, the banks and finance providers are working with their customers to try and work out ways of, of how they can help. It, it's within their interest to do so um, and to keep those businesses trading throughout this period. That will obviously be a variation. So it's um, a customer for customer negotiation as opposed to an automatic right in the vast majority of cases. We've also obviously seen the government issued that it intends to um, provide some financial support to businesses, which has been very welcome news. 
what we are eagerly waiting for now is to get the next phase of that in terms of the how people can apply for that support and exactly when it will be available from. Um, and we await that news as, as we speak. The implications of unfolding events are enormous and range across just about every part of just about every organisation. And many of the questions are strategic and legal. So how does a GC or a head of legal begin to help the organisation to prioritise those? How do you know what to do first? And when can you start thinking about the longer term? So there's a a wide variety of issues and and GCs will need to prioritise those issues for their company, which will be bespoke for them. One thing we have seen GCs turning to to help with that prioritisation is their Brexit plans and what they looked at uh, at that stage. Many of the issues um, from coronavirus are very similar. Where am I going to get my labour from? Do I have labour shortages? How is my supply chain affected and how can I move goods and services in an um, effective manner? And actually looking at their Brexit plans, they have done some of that prioritisation and worked out where the biggest impact on their company may well be. Digging those out and thinking how can they apply in the coronavirus situation? How does the Brexit plans, how do business continuity plans help with that consideration is a really, really good place to start. But fundamentally, we are definitely seeing people prioritise is their employees first and foremost, as they are the lifeblood of many, many companies, ensuring their employees are safe and well looked after. And then also their supply chain and contracts, because they also make sure that they will keep the wheels turning within the business. We've definitely seen businesses start to come out of crisis mode and start to um, take a look at a slightly longer term view and and that is important ultimately uh, one of the objectives of all businesses throughout this not only to keep staff safe but will be to keep the business going and come out of the other side of this period however long it may be with a good sustainable and healthy business at the other side of it um, so we're seeing businesses start to think about a variety of things in that context Will things they do now change their working practices for the future, for the better? So, for example, um, they may have had to invest in technology in order to enable their staff to work from home more easily. And that gives them a great opportunity to change the way they work on a more long term basis, even through this knee jerk reaction. We're also seeing businesses look at potential collaborations or or opportunities to work with others within their sector or wider field in order to address some of this short term impact, which is helping them to spot opportunities for the longer term as well. Certainly where we have businesses that that will um, have downturn or um, are going to be impacted in terms of the, the volume of work they need to deal with during this period, then looking at how they can use that time to invest in the business and think about strategies and plans going forward is also going to be really valuable time spent for when we get through the end of the period. Lots of companies will be beginning to think about what their contracts say, but that can only be one part of the picture. Bluntly, if every company enforces every one of its contractual rights now and in the coming months, then we might end up with not much of an economy left. Claire says that even at this early stage, companies are being pragmatic and commercial, understanding that there's a symbiotic relationship between any two companies doing business with each other. Her experience so far has been encouraging. 
Certainly, we're definitely seeing businesses take a pragmatic view to the situation. It's not something the vast majority of contracts anticipate. Um, Even if they refer to pandemic, it it was probably there um, and included without envisaging a pandemic necessarily of this scale or with the type of government intervention we've seen across the globe for this particular pandemic. So it is quite unprecedented and we are seeing businesses work together in order to help uh, resolve the issues they face um, in order to keep everyone going and to keep the various different businesses going throughout this. For example, we have seen some businesses decide they they could serve legal notices, but actually they don't want to do so because there is a longer term relationship between them and their customer, for example. And they want to be seen to support that customer where they can at this period of time. And those um, softer considerations are vitally important at this stage. There's a longer term view here than just dealing with the emergency knee jerk reaction of the disruption to businesses that are seeing today. Douglas Alexander was a UK minister for five years and has first-hand experience of managing a global crisis. He was at former Prime Minister Gordon Brown's side coordinating a response to the 2008 financial crisis by the G20 group of the world's richest nations. He says even if the scale of coronavirus is unprecedented, we can learn from past incidents. And the first lesson is the vital importance of leadership. My sense from previous crises is that in terms of crisis response by government, the signal matters more than the noise at the earliest stages of the crisis. We need and deserve leadership, as we heard from the Chancellor of the Exchequer, Richie Sunak, saying we will do whatever it takes. The detail needs to be developed quickly, and right now we're in a position where businesses are vulnerable to going under, workers are being laid off, and fear stalks the land. So it is important to have effective communication confirming the commitment of the government to deploy whatever resources, human or financial, that they have in the service of fighting this virus and its economic consequences. So we need leadership and then we need practical immediate action on an unprecedented scale to ensure the money gets to where it is needed. In 2009, But for the commitment of the British government to stand behind the financial system, we would have seen British banks going under and people wouldn't have been able to get out cash from the wall. The fact is we're not facing a crisis in the financial economy today. We are facing a crisis in the real economy. And that's why there is a real urgency to stabilise the system and minimise the long-term damage for what will inevitably be a short and medium-term shock. Now, the character of this crisis is somewhat different from the global financial crisis. That was, if you like, the financial system having a heart attack that had real economic consequences for the rest of us. This is actually a heart attack for the real economy that potentially has significant financial uh, system consequences in the months and years ahead. And in that sense, The principal challenge of the government in 2009 at the time of the financial crisis was to be the banker of last resort. And it feels to me that immediately the government is facing a new challenge in this crisis, which is effectively to become the insurer of last resort. There is no other institution with deep enough pockets and with a commitment to the public interest of the government to be able to try and effectively underwrite and stand behind businesses that are in real jeopardy 
as a consequence of the very necessary uh, steps that are being taken in terms of social distancing, those business models just don't work and won't work for some time to come. The challenge for the government is to get money into the hands of businesses and get money into the hands of workers. Douglas acknowledges that nobody around the UK cabinet table in 2008 understood the full ramifications of the financial collapse or of the actions taken to mitigate it. Politics since then has fragmented and national governments have become more nativist and more isolationist, reducing the power of the international community to act in unison in a crisis like this. He talks about living not in the age of the G8 or the G20, but the age of the G0. But this could change, he says, and the structure of society itself could look very different when we finally get through this crisis. This COVID-19 virus is going to change not just the way we work, but the way a lot of our society and our economy is organised. Uh, I was in the British cabinet from 2005 to 2010, so was with Gordon Brown as he led the British government's response to the global financial crisis. I travelled with him uh, as far as South America, building consensus for international action around the G20 meeting that was held in London in 2009. In retrospect, I think most people feel that the international response at that time was effective in staving off what could have been the complete collapse of the financial system. But I would say, hand on heart, as somebody who was in the cabinet at that time, none of us, I think, fully appreciated the extent to which the post-crisis world would be fundamentally different from the pre-crisis world. And I have to say that is my sense in relation to the crisis that we're in the earliest days of at this stage. Once we are through this crisis, we will have to rebuild. And my sense is that the expectations of the public going through a crisis such as this will be for greater public expenditure and greater assurance because this devastating health crisis is revealing the extent to which each of us, all of us, are reliant, for example, on our National Health Service. My sense is at the same time, there will have been actions taken for very good public policy reasons in the teeth of this crisis that will take many years to unwind. And in that sense, I think the only safe prediction is the world will feel very different when we're through this crisis than it felt on the eve of this crisis. These fundamental changes are exactly what businesses can begin to turn their minds to now. What will the world look like in 12 or 18 months' time? Claire Francis says that this is beginning to happen and that companies must now prepare for the medium and long term as well as the immediate future. So certainly in the last couple of weeks, we haven't seen businesses have much bandwidth to think about long-term planning. It has been um, the short, sharp shock of working out what they can do with their employees, how they can sure up supply chains, if they need to notify insurers, etc., Um, We are starting to see a change in that mindset now as businesses start to look ahead and think about what the economy will look like at the end of um, the coronavirus period, whenever that may be, and how they can plan and prepare for that. Um, That's taking different guises for different types of businesses in different sectors. But certainly um, thinking about the impact in their sector and whether that provides them with opportunities or real risks that they need to hedge against is is an area of activity we are now starting to see clients step into. 
and again it, it's not just about thinking about what the environment and the economy be like after coronavirus obviously we have brexit coming down the track as well so businesses are tending to factor those two things in together and work out what the new normal might look like for them and how they can best prepare for that one thing is is certain there are there are significant changes and there will be significant changes when we get to the end of this and businesses that plan and prepare for that now will really get a step ahead in that regard. Well, thanks for listening to this, the very first Brain Food for General Council podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and to rate it on your podcast platform. It was produced and presented by Matthew McGee for Pinsent Masons, the international professional services firm with law at its core.